From my heart and from my hand Why don't people understand my intention? All right, we're back. A couple science items I want to do, sort of uh, fun items. According to Richard Stevens, a psychology professor at Keele University in the UK, if you hit your finger with a hammer, go ahead, let loose with that string of expletives. It actually will make you feel better. Said Professor Stevens, I would advise people, if they hurt themselves, to swear. According to Scientific American, Stevens became interested in the functioning of profanity when he heard an earful from his wife while she was in labor. He wondered if it would serve some practical purpose. So, like any good experimenter, he conducted an experiment. Participants were encouraged to curse freely while keeping their hands in ice-cold water. They were able to keep their hands submerged 40% longer than the control group, which was asked to utter words of the type they'd use to describe a table. Reportedly, these swearers also felt less pain afterwards than did their more polite counterparts. It was noted that cursing seems to elevate the heart rate, and speculation is it may raise aggression levels and trigger the fight-or-flight response. But truthfully, I'm not sure anybody's got this figured out as to why it works. But I guess it does work, so have at it, doggone it. All right, we had some fun uh, a couple years back with Ivan Schwab, local professor, when he won uh, an Ig Nobel Award for his research into why woodpeckers don't get headaches. Hitching, uh, hitching a ride on some of the Ig Nobel research, Mental Floss magazine had a section called 10 Not-So-Bright Ideas in Science. I think that was a poor title, actually. One of the items was The Price of Happiness, which noted that placebos can trick our minds and bodies into feeling all sorts of things. Scientists have apparently found that red pills make you feel more alert, blue pills make you feel sleepy, and two pills are always more effective than one. Further research at Stanford and MIT and Duke is telling us that spending money can numb our pain too. In a study conducted with 82 healthy volunteers, while they were recruited to test a new pain reliever that was actually a sugar pill, half of them were informed the drug cost $2.50 per pill, while the other half were told it cost 10 cents. All participants took the pills and received electric shocks, but the people who took the pricier pills reported feeling less pain than the ones who took just the cheap pills. The moral of the story, according to the magazine, well, expensive things just feel better. That was a fun piece. We'll quote more from it in the future. And uh, that uh, big black eye on Jupiter got a lot of ink. We'd like to think we were among the first to report it for you, dear listeners. But I did like the follow-up article in the New York Times, which said that the conventional wisdom that Jupiter may be out there sweeping aside comets and therefore protecting the Earth from bombardment may not be quite right. According to Brian G. Marsden of the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, a guy, by the way, that's on Radio Parallax's short list of desired guests, said, I really question this idea, referring to Jupiter as our guardian planet. Said Marsden, Jupiter is just as much a menace as it is a savior. The big planet throws lots of comets out of the solar system, but it also throws them in. 
Example, back in 1770, a comet named Lexel, after a Swedish astronomer, whizzed only a million miles from Earth. The comet had come streaking from the outer solar system three years earlier and passed close to Jupiter, which diverted into a new orbit, pointing it straight toward planet Earth. The comet apparently whipped around the sun twice, then in 1779 again pla passed very close to Jupiter, which then threw it back out of the solar system. Said Marsden, it was as if Jupiter aimed at us and missed. So it appears the fuller picture is that Jupiter is probably mostly a plus, but is something of a mixed blessing. Here's a miscellaneous item I simply cannot resist. According to Justin Rorlick, writing on moneycentral.msn.com, Next time you hear about a corporate CEO buying a high-priced home, short the company's stock. Rorlick was noting that that was the conclusion of two business professors who have published a paper arguing that company performance deteriorates when CEOs acquire extremely large or costly mansions and estates. And the guys did research into CEOs' homes and found that, uh, well, in short, when they went out and bought homes that were really expensive, their company stocks took a beating. So uh, we don't offer a lot of stock tips on this program, but uh, there's one. Article in the Sacramento Bee a couple days back about texting while driving. And if you are moron enough to text while driving, please stop. Statistics show that you are much more likely to have an accident. How much, you say? Well, a lot more likely. And we're not talking about 100% more likely or 200% more likely or 300% more likely. You're, in fact, 2,300% more likely to have an accident if you text while driving. Yes, your risk goes up by a factor of 23. Curiously, the New York Times reported last week that the U.S. back in 2003, first Bush administration, blocked publication of data documenting the dangers of texting while driving. If you can believe this, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration withheld data that showed that driving while texting or talking on a mobile phone was as risky as driving while intoxicated. Jeffrey Runge, head of NHTSA, said he decided against publishing the data to avoid angering members of Congress who believed that publicizing the information amounted to improper lobbying. Yes, public service at its finest. We didn't mean to talk about that U.S. intelligence report. Uh, we're going to have to postpone that for a full discussion. But in short, though the Bush administration had defended its program of wiretapping without warrants as a vital tool that saved lives, that report issued early this month showed that most intelligence officials interviewed had difficulty citing specific instances when the NSA wiretapping program contributed to successes against terrorists, in the wording of the report. And I love this one. The Obama administration has declassified satellite images which the Bush administration had kept under lock and key, which are graphically showing how the polar ice sheets are retreating in the summer. Yes, that's right. Barack Obama had to declassify the photographs. You should go on the numerous websites that have these. Uh, there's one particularly striking set of images which shows the Alaskan port of Barrow. The photograph from July 2006 shows sea ice nestling close to shore. Second image, one year later, shows the coastal waters were entirely ice-free. 
It appears that this story of uh, the polar ice cap shrinking is finally actually be appearing on Fox News. So maybe there is some progress here. I want to note in passing a pretty funny comment on the web, but regarding the 40th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing, article was titled, 10 Reasons Why the Moon Landing Was Awesome by Curtis Silver. I love the paragraph titled, Gave the Conspiracy Theorists Something to Talk About for the Next Century. Silver pointed out in the article, as we did on this show, that if you got some space, not space-based, Earth-based, I made the same mistake last week, Earth-based lasers and high-powered telescopes, you can see the reflections off those reflectors left by the astronauts. I love Silver's comment on this. If we should have faked anything in the late 60s, should have been the Vietnam War. All right, we've got but five minutes left, so I want to close with a couple of obituaries. As far as I know, we may be the only radio show around that regularly does obituaries, but I think it's important to note the passing of certain people, or in some cases, institutions. About a week or so ago in the UK, Henry Allingham died. He was 113 and believed to be the second to the last World War I veteran. There's apparently one person left in Australia that fought in the conflict. The passing of Henry Allingham made 112-year-old Montana man the world's oldest living man. That would be Walter Bruning of Great Falls, Montana. Bruning is able to remember his grandfather telling him about fighting in the Civil War. He cast his first presidential ballot in 1916 for Woodrow Wilson. By the way, the uh, news, news service is quoting Bruning's longevity advice, which he says is, stay active in body and mind, don't eat too much, and be good to people. Which I think brings up uh, probably the saddest obituary I've done in seven years on this program. Sad because it's someone I knew quite well. My friend and colleague, Dr. Casey Daggett, passed away on July 5th due to a fatal plane crash in South Lake Tahoe. Casey lived in Davis, worked recently in Davis and Sacramento and in Auburn. He specialized in adult and pediatric cardiothoracic surgery, but did a lot of things in medicine. He used his piloting skills, for example, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina to fly supplies down to New Orleans. As a researcher at Duke University, he wrote more than 20 journal articles on cardiac surgery. And uh, most tragically in this case, uh, although he was only 41 years of age, leaves behind seven children. He and I had a great deal in common, being that we worked in uh, some of the same places and are, as medical doctors and are both pilots. In fact, less than two weeks before his death, I had flown with him in his newly purchased aircraft out of University Airport. It's believed that the accident that took place up in, uh, in South Lake Tahoe's airport had to do with the fact that uh, it's a treacherous place to try and fly in the summer. On a warm summer day, or even moderately warm summer day, the equivalent altitude of the airport is raised to something like eight or 9,000 feet. And unfortunately, on the day in question, there apparently were some shifting winds. After his memorial service last Friday... Events moved from the funeral proceedings out to University Airport. Although it may seem kind of funny to say so, I thought it was entirely appropriate for, for Casey's uh, pilot friends to do some plane rides. In celebration of Dr. Daggett's life, a lot of people had, uh, had some fun going up in the sky. And, it, you know, aviation is um, an activity that, that does have more hazards than, you know, driving a car. But folks felt that was a great way to celebrate Casey Daggett's life by doing what he loved to do so much, flying. 
And for the record, I wholeheartedly agree that that was a good thing to do. But uh, the strangest thing about this for me is that the day before, he'd asked me if I wanted to go flying with him, first to the coast and then up into the Sierra. I had other plans that 4th of July weekend, and uh, had I gone with him, I would not be speaking to you now. But, you know, at, at the ceremony they had at uh, St. James Church in Davis, which was, which was very touching and very nice, the choir sang a lovely song about how it is we, we touch the lives of others as we go through life. just want to note in closing, because we are out of time, that uh, Casey did start me off on quite a few enterprises, which I expect over the years to do a lot of good. So I can tell you that uh, I myself am I'm starting off on a path that, uh, that he got me going on. So uh, Casey, thanks for that. Thanks for the good work you did. And for the record, no, I'm definitely not going to give up on flying. It's a wonderful activity. But uh, Casey's passing is a reminder that... Um, When it comes to small planes, you always have to do everything you can to keep the odds in your favor. If you do that, you'll probably come out all right. Our thanks go to Matt Perry and Whitney Lehman, uh, two of our regulars or semi-regulars, and we hope to hear more from both of them in the future. And oh yeah, Will Durst says he'll be back next month. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett, and you've been listening to Radio Parallax. Parallax.